was telling a few of you, we already got more people here than I thought we would, so this is good, you know, even though it, it feels sparse. And if you can't tell, I'm fighting a little cold here, so bear with me. Um, Jim's got his, his bag here in case I pass out or something. So. Okay, okay. Well, either way, you have it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, Exodus this quarter, uh, Seth and I. And um, the, the title we came up with here is Leaving Egypt, Finding Redemption. And I, there's supposed to be like some lighter colored, like other, other names uh, that were on there, but they're not showing up too good. But, you know, other ideas were like from slavery to freedom, from death to life, from order to chaos. All those kind of have these parallel ideas. Um, we chose Egypt and redemption because, you know, Jeff talks about it before. People ask, are these allegories or these myths, stories that God's trying to tell something, or did these actually happen? Um, and, you know, my thinking is, why not both, right? So, you know, Egypt was an actual place, is an actual place. Uh, the Israelites did leave it, but there's also a bigger story um, that we're talking about here um, that, that we'll get into. Um, there we go. Okay, so on the your left here is uh, the Federalist Papers by Alexander Hamilton. Um, anybody read those? No? Go figure. And it looks like it would make your eyes bleed, right, when you're just reading that. And Oh, man, what is all this text? On the right, uh, Hamilton, the, the Broadway show. Has anyone seen that? No? Nothing? Okay. Well... <laughs> The, the the point of this slide here is, you know, I think often when we turn to the Old Testament, and specifically these first five books, um, we think of it like reading the Federalist Papers, not going to see Hamilton. You know, we think of it as, oh, man, what history, what is all this? I don't want to read this. And, you know, whereas shows like that, people get, get fired up for, man. I mean, if you try to buy tickets for that or they've seen some of the, the costs of those tickets. Um, so just the idea of, uh, you know, let's let's shade it a little more toward the the Hamilton side of the spectrum than the the Federalist Papers when we're going here. And if you know me, I'm I tend to get pretty animated, uh, even less so when I feel like this. So, um, bear with me here. And Seth will be doing all the musical numbers starting in two weeks. So, yeah. Yeah, that's you might want to you know figure out what David's doing down there. Yeah, do that. So the, I'm going to project on you guys a little bit here. Um, you know, this is this is what in my mind I think of when I think of Exodus, right? Like this is this is the book. It's uh, you know 80, 90 percent in Egypt. You know, stuff going on. Ultimately, they leave. Then at the very end, you get this little kind of Ten Commandments covenant piece. Um, you know, this, this timeline's largely based on the movie Ten Commandments, right, with Charlton Heston. Um, you know, that's about what it seems like. Uh, but what are we missing here? Yeah, so uh, I threw up covenant here to talk about, you know, kind of the, the uh, Ten Commandments and, and the covenant with the people. Um, after that, we actually have quite a bit about uh, the tabernacle and the temple. Um, really, it's, it's the largest portion of the book um, deals with you know, how to build the tabernacle, um, 
building it. Eventually they finish it at the end, and then Moses can't go in. Um, another word I guess you could throw there on the, in the blue there is uh, the promised land. Um, but the part of the problem with that is they never actually make it to the promised land in Exodus. Right? So that's, that's the kind of delineation between the Exodus story of ending in the promised land and the book where we end with uh, God dwelling among them in the tabernacle. Um, why, do you th- why do you think that is, that they didn't make it to the promised land in, in Exodus? Why didn't they go straight from Egypt, boom, they're there, you know, God solved it, here we are, we're good to go. Yep. No, that's right. I mean, and that was after 40 years, right, of, of wandering around. So that's, I like how you said that, they don't get it. You know, and we'll see that later. They literally, you know, this far removed from being let out of Egypt and watching the Red Sea crash, uh, you know, they start uh, kind of doing some, some silly things. Um, so if we look at, oh, that turned out really bad. Um, has anyone seen this image before where it's all the cross references uh, in the Bible and it kind of looks like a, you know, a rainbow in the back? Um, that's what that's supposed to be, although with, yeah, you can kind of see just with Exodus highlighted. So it's, to me, it's pretty interesting. There's really, uh, only a very few explicit references, uh, to Exodus. And we kind of try to throw some up there. Uh, Joshua, of course, is when they actually make it to the promised land. Um, Chronicles, Nehemiah, Psalms, um, you get basically a recap of, of the history, um, and really the same thing in, in Acts and Hebrews. Um, does someone want to read Joshua 3.17? Thanks, Joshua, for the... Yep. So that was when they actually made it to the promised land and, you know, kind of really echoes the Red Sea crossing in, in, that, in that instance. Um, I think what's interesting in, in the other three, like I mentioned, uh, Psalm 106, specifically Acts 7 and Hebrews 11. Um, Acts 7 is actually Stephen's defense uh, right before he's, he's stoned. Um, and then Hebrews 11, uh, pretty well known, but there's examples of faith in action. Um, Basically, what those three amount to is a retelling of the story, not just the Exodus story, but, uh, you know, kind of the whole story of the Israelites. And that's an important theme that, that we'll keep coming back to is this idea of remembering um, this event in the history. Um, speaking of, so why study Exodus? Um, it's our past. Uh, does someone want to read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 through 4? Oh, I've got some up there.
takes care. So there's, uh, uh, there's an exodus there, right? Uh, all of our fathers were under the cloud and all went through the sea. Um, who's Paul talking to in this? Hint right here. Yeah. Um, so it's the church at Corinth, right? It's not uh, uh, Israelites. It's, it's us, right? You know, we're, we're trying to be like the first century church here. So, um, you know, I think it's, it, that's an important thing to remember is uh, this is our history, right? It's not just Jewish people. It's not just, um, you know, people who came from over there, live over there. It's, it's anyone who, um, who's found Christ and, and is, is in a church today. Um, so not only that, it's our present. Uh, does someone want to read Romans 8, 1 through 3? Thanks, Chuck. So, uh, you know, talking about the law here, uh, which we'll we'll see in Exodus and in the uh, the covenant, we're uh, we're kind of introducing a new covenant here in Romans. Does someone want to read also in staying in chapter eight, eighteen through twenty one? Thanks, Angela. So that last line, set free from the bondage of decay, um, you know, really to me sounds like Exodus, right? Leaving Egypt. Um, and this is found in, in Romans. Um, another quote that I liked here, um, I don't know why it's doing that on all these slides, but I'll try to fix that for next week on the names. Um, but this is a, a author of a book that we're, we kind of were grabbing some stuff from for this class. He's actually an Egyptologist um, from Germany, and kind of was really studying all this stuff from, from that framework. And then it's kind of started to figure out, you know, that's not what's interesting is the whole Egyptian, you know, history side. What's interesting is, is what's going on here with the Jewish people. And, and the title of the book is uh, The Invention of Religion, uh, which sounds kind of like, oh, you know, made up. But really he's like, this is brand new stuff happening here. This is something that's, um, you know, God is, is introducing to his people. So, and I like this quote. Uh, interestingly, their oppression in Egypt and the religion that liberates them from it were both given the same Hebrew word, um, abodah, or service. Human service signifies oppression. Uh, divine service denotes freedom. And, you know, that last kind of line there, too, that, to me, that sounds like it could come right out of Romans, you know, like we just read here. Um, and then, finally, what do you guys think the last one's going to be? It's our future here. Uh, Revelation 21, uh, 1 and 3. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven had passed away. Behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity, and he will take up residence with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. So there, you know, we're looking uh, forward a little bit from the, uh, the promised land to the, the promise of eternal life. Um, and then another, another quote here. 
the book of Exodus is devoted to two most important questions on which human minds have dwelt since time immemorial. The question of, of the role played by the divine in our lives and the question of who we are. Um, what other questions you guys maybe have as, as we get into Exodus or thinking about this class, things that, like, nah, it would be nice if we answered that or, or uh, you know, something that's even popped up into your mind this morning. Anybody have anything? All right, we'll just stick to these two easy ones then. And, uh, <clears throat> so, um, you know, talking about this, uh, this book we're using for some of the source material, um, it's really pretty interesting um, how Egypt has set up uh, the opposite of Israel um, in a lot of dimensions. Um, you know, first of all, this idea of, of the king being sacred and the chosen people, and then looking down, state power versus, you know, responding to a higher power. Um, here, I'll just read some of this from here. Uh, in its political dimension, the Exodus myth founds a concept of the people as a religious idea, and thus here too stands opposed to Egypt, which established the state as a religious idea. Just as there's no word in Egyptian that could be translated as people or nation, whereas Hebrew offers two candidates, uh, Am and Goy. So uh, the Egyptians didn't even have a word for like people as a body, um, which God is saying, you know, not only do you deserve a name, it's going to be my name, right? Um, these second two Latin uh, terms here, um, the the kind of difference there, uh, Historia Divina, is this uh, this Egyptian idea of myths being stories about gods, um, and Historia uh, Sacra is kind of this salvational history. Um, a history that God uh, shares with his people. Um, another thing I'll read here, just um, about ancient Egypt. It says, ancient Egypt is the polar opposite to the new order set out in the book of Exodus. No other polity in the ancient world was the principle of sacral kingship realized so comprehensively as in Egypt. The same goes for the principle of cosmotheism, uh, which kind of he uses interchangeably with polytheism. Uh, the congruence of God and world, the eminence of the divine and holy in nature and the cosmos. In no other religion was, religion was this principle expressed and theologically reflected in so vast an array of texts and images, such that it continued to exert an influence even after the ancient Egyptian world had passed away and remains to this day indissolubly associated with Egypt. Uh, the last thing that I thought was interesting, uh, this idea of time, and I think Steve talked about this in a class before, um, you know, a lot of the ancient conception of time was um, the future is behind you, right? Because you can't see it. You don't know what's going to come, and you're looking ahead to the past. Um, you know, really, this, this kind of moment gave the Israelites uh, something to look forward to, right? You kind of know your, your future, um, which is kind of a radical, um, you know, change from, from really the time uh, that the Israelites would have been uh, operating in. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and, you know, this this whole idea of the future behind you, because you can't see it, it's unknowable, maybe works pretty okay on a, in an earthly realm, right? You're you're not kidding yourself. You don't know what the future's going to be. But, you know, that's not what we're dealing with here. We're talking about, um, you know, heavenly things and, and more powerful things. So we're starting something new. Um, here's Exodus 1 uh, and then 7. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. And the sons of Israel were fruitful and swarmed and multiplied and grew very vast. And the land was filled with them. What do those first three underlined words remind you of? 
Yeah. Um, sounds like the creation story, right? Let me try to find it here. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting around uh, 19. And God said, Let the water swarm with the swarm of living creatures, and let fowl fly over the earth and across the vault of heavens. Of the heavens, and God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that crawls, which the water had swarmed forth of each kind, and the winged fowl of each kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth." So, what's the difference here? What were these words describing in the creation account in Genesis? Not people, right? The beasts and swarming things and, and the birds. Here we're talking about the people of Israel, right? Um, so it's kind of this idea that uh, we're creating them anew. It's a new story. Um, and then vast uh, wasn't found in the um, creation account, but what does that remind you of from Genesis? Yeah, God's promise to Abraham, exactly. Another quote here, this I liked. Uh, We have here a story that is destined never to be forgotten, one that will captivate and transform the lives of all who read and hear its good news. Indeed, the entire New Testament stands wholly under the spell of the book of Exodus. So we'll we'll come back to a lot of the uh, New Testament kind of interplay here in a second, but um, we're kind of going to go through just the theme and structure of Exodus. And kind of this class will be skimming over a lot of things, and then we'll come back and, and get deeper into each one. Um, as we go throughout the weeks. So first of all, God reveals his name. I don't know if you guys read the little blurb on the class we had in the bulletin, but uh, this idea of revelation uh, being a pretty important theme uh, throughout the book. So um, here's, uh, here's the first instance. Uh, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, so you must say to the Israelites, I am sent me to you. Um, an alternative way to translate that would be, I will be who I will be. Uh, why do you think God answers kind of so abstractly here? Any thoughts? Not like anyone's ever given this much thought, you know, through through all of time. But Chuck. Maybe part of it is that he's referring to time as as you know one of the dimensions in which we're so familiar with physical dimensions, you know, length, width, breadth. Yeah. No, I like that. It's like, I will be who I will be. Like, you don't even know. You know, you guys are just not even scratching the surface yet. Um, I like that. Um, you know, another reason I thought of was uh, he didn't give just himself a name, you know, like a personal name uh, to kind of distinguish himself from all these other gods that they had, right? Like, look, I'm not one of these other, you know, Egyptian gods or these other, you know, uh, contemporary God, small g of the time, you know, I'm something totally different, like Chuck said, like this is a new dimension um, that you guys don't even know. Um, another part of this, uh, this revelation, it occurs just to Moses, right? Um, and it kind of sets a stage for, uh, for a little bit of the drama afterward, right? Moses, first of all, his like, 
initial unwillingness, uh, but then also Pharaoh's unbelief um, later on. Uh, so here's kind of a New Testament uh, echo of Exodus here. Does someone want to read uh, Luke nine twenty eight through 34? Thanks. And I meant to include 35 on there. Uh, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Um, so to me, this kind of sounds like a lot of the events we have in Exodus of you know meeting God uh, up on the mountain. Uh, what's different about, um, I guess, the naming convention, uh, this go-round versus God talking about, uh, you know, I am that I am, I will be who I will be. Is he, uh, uh, I guess it's, he's not that... Uh, Evasive in this one, right? He says, "This is my son, my chosen one. Uh, listen to him." Uh, you know, I like that. That uh, he's more direct there, and basically saying, "Like this is the time, right? This is kind of what we've been talking about." Um, you know, uh, all these events have set in motion. So I, I liked the the contrast there. Um, this is kind of the part uh, of Exodus that, that most most people know, right? The plagues and and all of that. God reveals His power. Um, can someone read uh, Exodus nine fifteen through sixteen? For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my So he, he kind of answers it himself, but I'll ask you guys, because I love when teachers do that. Why, uh, why didn't he just stretch out his hand and, and strike them? Just like he said, then I can show you my power. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. The, the, I like your point about the whole world is going to know about this, right? And Moses actually uses that uh, when he's interceding on Israel's behalf. Later, he sa- you know, he'll say something in effect of, 
um, when God's going to wipe them out because of the golden calf. You say, so Egypt should just think it was for evil you brought us out here to, to kill us all. Um, so yeah, people are, this is a difference. Uh, the first revelation to Moses, this one is to the whole world, really, right? Um, and, you know, what applications does this have for us? Why doesn't God just, um, you know, this is more in the negative, but why doesn't God just solve solve our problems, you know, <laughs> right away? Um, maybe because there's more going going on. God's working to show his strength. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. And who, whichever Pharaoh this was, and there's a lot of controversy about which one, um, probably one of the strongest Pharaohs. That's why he was known around the, around the right. world. Uh-huh. I sort of think that it might have been Amenhotep III because he was such a builder. Um, and there's other reasons, but for him to have been. Or any pharaoh as as strong as he was to have been um, defeated as as he was, everybody's going to know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, exactly. And kind of like we showed here, like there's a reason this is Egypt, right? This wasn't some, you know, Johnny Come Lately little regional power play. Like this is Egypt. This is where it's at at the time. And like you said, the pharaoh was, you know, he was the sacred king on earth, right? He was the guy. Um, I appreciate that. That's good. Um, God reveals the covenant. Uh, Exodus 24. Um, can someone read 8 through 11? So who does this revelation occur to? Right. And then it and then it has and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. So really this is the Israelites um, you know, entering into this new covenant. Um I included that last part. Um they beheld God and, and they ate and they drank. Um because that, to me, really sounds like uh, the Last Supper. Does someone want to read uh, Luke 22, th- 7 through 
shared among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. They took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he actually took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been decreed. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Thanks, Angela. Um, I want to read a, a quote from this another book that we, we looked at here called Echoes of Exodus. Um, it says, It's not just that the Last Supper evokes the Passover in hindsight. It's that the Passover evokes the Last Supper in advance. Jesus' uh, broken body and spilled blood, in some mysterious way, is bound up with the fact that Israel ate matzah and drank wine in the first place. The, delivery, the deliverance from slavery to Pharaoh was always going to be fill, fulfilled in a deliverance from slavery to sin. The Mosaic Covenant builds toward the New Covenant. Passover culminates in the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, that's probably one of the more you know, well-known um, uh, links here, of course, having the Passover uh, feast here for the Last Supper. But I, th- I thought it is pretty interesting. You know, it's, it's this whole idea, this whole grand story that we're talking about um, that God set in motion really with, uh, with Exodus. Um, finally, God reveals his tabernacle and his divine being. Uh, and he says... And make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell in the midst of them. Uh, that's Exodus 25 through 8. And then really for about six chapters, you get all these long instructions um, about how to, to build the tabernacle and what it needs to be. And, and you know, we won't get into any of the significance here, but uh, that takes up a, a pretty good chunk of the book. Um, and meanwhile, while Moses is up uh, on, on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai getting these instructions, uh, what are the Israelites doing? Um, this is, what are they talking about in this verse? These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What do they just do when, when Aaron tells them this? Exactly. So 40 days, um, and they start losing it, right? They're, uh, they've already broken the first two commandments, right? No other gods before me and, and no idols. Um, so I think it's uh, this whole idea of... of that we talked about earlier, why don't we get to the promised land right away? Because, you know, we still got problems. We still got stuff to work through, and we still need, um, you know, God and, and ultimately, in the New Testament, Jesus, uh, as we see. Uh, and then we, t- we talked a little bit about this. And Moses implored Yahweh his God, and he said, Why, Yahweh, should your anger blaze against your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, uh, with great power and with a strong hand? So it's kind of funny. We went from revealing it to Moses, uh, then we revealed... Um, God's power to the whole world, then the covenant to the people, uh, now we're back to Moses. So it almost kind of seems like we've taken a little bit of a step back. You know, like the Israelites, we got this, we got this figured out, and then, you know, 40 days, uh, not even 40 days, they're, they're back to uh, kind of their old ways. Um, does someone want to read uh, Exodus 32, 21 through 30? Answer, we 
know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they, um, they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire and got some of his cash. That's always <laughs> yeah. It just happened. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so what do you guys think about in verse uh, 22? Uh, how high regard is Aaron holding the Israelites in? Not much. Right. So he's part of it too. He let him do it. Right. Well, no, the calf just happened, right? Yeah, to me, it's pretty crazy. Like, knowing where they just came from and all these revelation that they've just seen, um, you know, and, and still, uh, they're, they're people, right? He says, you, you yourself know that they are intent on evil. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of speaks to, to us today, right? I mean, we, um, you know, are just as prone to do stupid stuff like, like the Israelites did here. And, and uh, you know, and... Um, we we more or less know the end of the story, right? They haven't even gotten to the the promised land or anything like that. So, and we still do it. Well, I think it's interesting, too. Oh, go ahead. That's I like we just said God's already before us because I'm pretty sure I mean they're at the kind of the foot of Sinai here and God is as a cloud right 
So it's not even like we're talking about he's halfway around the world. Like, I don't know when Moses is going to come back. They can still see, uh, you know, God's presence in the cloud. And, and, and there they go. I like that you brought up, you know, that idea because it was the Levites, right, that that stood with him, um, and then we had the the three thousand uh, that were killed. Uh, here's the New Testament kind of echo here. Um, Acts 2, uh, I don't know what we want to read here. Let's just start uh, verse 1 through 4. Someone would read that. And then someone, uh, if someone can read 37 through 41, too. So I think that's a, a pretty cool parallel, the 3,000 um, after the golden calf and, and 3,000 here. Uh, here's another uh, kind of passage or, or quote I found. Uh, Yet Pentecost also echoes the Exodus, and particularly the encounter on the mountain at Sinai. Some of these echoes are obvious. The law was given to Israel about seven weeks after the Passover. The Spirit is given to the church about seven weeks after the cross. The anointed leader has gone up, and the divine presence comes down. There are tangible physical signs, a great noise from heaven, whether thunder and trumpets or a mighty rushing wind and the descent of God and fire. The gift that defines God's people, first the law and then the spirit is given. The people are commissioned as kings and priests and the tabernacle uh, or temple is established. A sermon is preached calling for obedience. A new covenant has started. And then we end uh, here as far as the Exodus theme with God's permanent presence. Um, Exodus 40 uh, verse 34, and the cloud covered the tent of assembly and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Um, and that's, that's kind of all we have here uh, for the setup. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the history and the background uh, leading up to, to Egypt. Um, but if you guys would join me in prayer and then we can 
uh, be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful uh, for this day that we can uh, come together in, in fellowship uh, as Christians, Lord, and just um, thank you so much for this opportunity to dig into your word. And uh, Lord, we know that it's so rich and there's so much um, in it. And we just pray that we can, um, you know, just start to scratch the surface of that, Lord. Just thank you so much for writing us into your story, Lord. And just thank you that um, you have a plan for us and that we can know that plan, Lord. Uh, just be with us as we go from here. Help us to find opportunities each day to be lights for you. In Jesus' name, amen.